I hope that you'll turn with me in a Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18. And our focus today will be on the words we find in verses 1 to 18. Here we see that the conflict between King David, God's chosen king, and his son Absalom, the usurper, finally comes to a head. It's all been building up to this moment. And the outcome is not in doubt. The narrator has made it clear to us that God has determined to frustrate Absalom's plans in order to bring disaster on Absalom. The outcome is not in doubt. The focus in this chapter is not really on David and Absalom. Not primarily, anyway. That's what's going on in the big picture. But in these verses specifically, the focus is on an individual named Joab. Joab is David's general. And we've, we've seen him before, and we've seen that he has demonstrated ferocious, even ruthless loyalty to King David and to King David's cause. There is no one who can compete with Joab in loyalty to God's king. And yet, in this chapter, we see in the heat of battle, in this great climactic moment, how Joab, of all people, violates the chain of command. He's a general. He knows the chain of command. He knows who is boss. He knows that King David is chief. He knows that he is to obey without hesitation whatever his king tells him to do. And yet here, we see him disobey deliberately. How is this possible? How could someone who is so committed to God's king, so loyal to God's king, then disobey God's king in such a blatant and conspicuous way? Well, it's the same reason that when so many people look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today, they say, I like Jesus, but I just don't know about Christians. This chapter highlights how our beliefs can be so different, so disconnected from our behavior. How what we say about Jesus can be so different from what people see when they look at us and how we live. In other words, we're looking at the age-old problem of hypocrisy. And it's not a new problem, of course. God's people have always been marked by hypocrisy. And they always will be. There is simply no way 
for any one of us to completely avoid hypocrisy, right? Because we're not Jesus, and we will never attain perfection in this life. So we need to be clear about that. But can we know less hypocrisy? Can we strive for more consistency between what we believe and how we behave? Absolutely. And we should. We should. And it comes down to knowing the chain of command, knowing who is really in charge, knowing who is Lord, and bringing that conviction into alignment with our daily living. And for every person who confesses Jesus as Lord, I want you to know that the depth of your love for Jesus, the depth of your love for Jesus, for God's ultimate King, can be measured by the extent of your obedience to Jesus. The depth of your love for Jesus can be measured by the extent of your love for him and your obedience to him. Obedience to him. Now, the skeptic in our midst says, well, see, this is why I don't want anything to do with organized religion. Maybe religion can teach some good principles, but when you look over the span of history, hasn't religion done so much evil in the world? And they say, look at the church now, there's just as much hypocrisy. They talk a good game, but they don't live it. And that's why I don't need it. Jesus, maybe, maybe I can glean something from him, maybe I can learn something from him, but I don't need any part in organized religion, says someone. And therefore, I don't need any chain of command. I am free. I don't need that authority in my life. I don't need any dogma. I don't need any hierarchy. And to that skeptic, I say, be careful. While yes, there is hypocrisy in the church there always has been, there always will be. And while, yes, Christian people have committed heinous crimes against humanity, that's true, I won't dispute that today. But I will dispute the claim that you have no authority in your life. Someone or something will have authority over you. It's just a question of who or what. Something or someone is going to be what you look to for help in your time of need. And we all have times of need. And the question that I would put to you is, do you trust that authority that you're trusting in right now more than Jesus? Because ultimately, Jesus is the one to whom you and I must give an account. Not to the church, not to the pastors, not to the clergy, to Jesus. What do you say about him? Are you living in obedience to him? Do you know the chain of command? And is that chain of command reflected 
and how you make decisions on a daily basis. So if you are a follower of Jesus, or you claim to be, and you say he is Lord of your life, then I want you to see how we can strive to live with less hypocrisy, more consistency. If you're not really sure about Jesus, then I hope to show you why he is trustworthy above every other authority in your life. So let's pick up our reading together as we read verses 1 to 4. David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. David sent out his troops, a third under the command of Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zeruiah, and a third under Ittai, the Gittite. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. But the men said, You must not go out. If we are forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you are worth 10,000 of us. It would be better now for you to give us support from the city. The king answered, I will do whatever seems best to you. So the king stood beside the gate while all his men marched out in units of hundreds and of thousands. The time for battle has come. David has been exiled to the wilderness, but he's found refuge in a city known as Mahanaim. He's been refreshed by foreign enemies. Enemies of Israel have come to David's aid. And now he feels ready to turn around and face Absalom, his son who has usurped his throne, who is a traitor, who is a murderer. Now it's time to face off in battle. And so, like any good commander, he divides up his forces. He gets strategic. He puts a third under Joab, his chief general, a third under his brother Abishai, and then a third under Ittai the Gittite, who is, by the way, a Philistine. Yes, same Philistines as Goliath, the giant. And David says, I'm going to lead you in battle today. I'm going out in charge. His men say, no, 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 no. This is not a good idea, David, because if the enemy sees you run, or if our own troops see you run, well, then it's all lost. You are the king. It all depends on you, and you are worth 10,000 of us. If some of us die, well, the enemy won't care, but if you go down, then the enemy will feel empowered, and our own troops We'll feel weakened. We can't risk that. So, David, we want you to stay back and provide support from the city, maybe in the form of reinforcements, maybe in giving directions and communication. David relents and says, fine, I'll stay back. And David watches his troops march out. What we need to emphasize is the high premium that David's men put on his life. You are worth 10,000 of us. 10,000. There's no questioning their loyalty to him. They don't want him to be harmed. They know that their lives, the livelihood of the kingdom, the cause of the kingdom depends on David's welfare. 
But as we're going to see, whatever premium they put on David's life, it ends up not being enough to keep them from disobeying him. And as people who look to Jesus as God's king today, we need to remember that we are called to love Jesus himself and not merely the idea of Jesus. Not merely the position of Jesus. Not merely the power of Jesus. Because let's face it, who really, whether inside the church, outside the church, who really wants to be against Jesus? I mean, think about it. Who is really critical of Jesus? Even people who don't want anything to do with the church or the institution of Christianity, they still want to give credence to Jesus. He's one of the greatest figures in history, right? Didn't he teach some radical things? Isn't he worthy of emulation? Who wants to critique Jesus? Who wants to be against Jesus? Surely we all, in some sense, want to be on Jesus' team, right? And here's where we need to be so careful. Do you really love Jesus? Are you really committed to the person of Jesus? Or are you merely committed to the idea of Jesus? Jesus as a mascot that we can then fill in with our own cultural values at any given time. And this is what we see with these commanders, with Joab, as we'll see. Joab loves the cause of David. He loves the position of David, and he loves the position that he has in David's kingdom, by the way. Doesn't want to lose that. He's a general, after all. And he believes that David is going to triumph, so of course he wants to be on his team. And when many hear the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, that he's died on the cross for your sins, and as we celebrate on Easter that he has risen, well, who wouldn't want a piece of that, right? Who wouldn't want some of that? Who wants, who wants to be against him? And I don't know whether you grew up in the church or not, but for many of us who have grown up in the Bible Belt, we know that the name of Jesus is not to be taken in vain, right? The name of Jesus is to be reverenced, to be respected. Rightly so. But be honest with yourself. Do you love Jesus because of what you believe you can get from him? Do you love Jesus because of the position you believe he has as the risen and reigning Lord? You've, you've been told that. Your grandma believed that. Your parents told you. And you think you ought to believe that. Or do you, you as an individual, love Jesus, the person of Jesus, not just the idea, not just as a mascot, not just as a concept, not just a figure in history, not just a character in the Bible, not just someone on a stained glass window, but Jesus, risen and living and present through the Holy Spirit. There is all the difference in the world, and there will be all the difference in the world in how you live your life. Many love the idea of Jesus, but far fewer 
love Jesus himself. This leads to what the king commands of his men as we pick up our reading in verse 5. As the soldiers are going out, the king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, Be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. There Israel's troops were routed by David's men, and the casualties that day were great. 20,000 men. The battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest swallowed up more men that day than the sword. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair, while the mule he was riding kept on going. When one of the men saw what had happened, he told Joab, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Joab said to the man who had told him this, What? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have had to give you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. But the man replied, Even if a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hands, I would not lay a hand on the king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, Protect the young man Absalom for my sake. And if I had put my life in jeopardy, and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me. As David sends his men out, he gives them one command, one order. Be gentle with the young man, Absalom. Why? For my sake. Notice how compassionate David is for this wayward son, this prodigal son who has undermined his kingdom, who has committed sexual atrocities in his household, who has murdered, usurped, you name it. In David's eyes, he's still the young man, Absalom. The young man, Absalom. Be gentle with him. Hold back from what you might want to do to him. Not because it seems right to you, not because it seems realistic to you, not because it makes sense to you, but for my sake. For my sake. Later, the battle is said to be very intense. 20,000 men fall that day in the thick forest. And when Absalom, with his glorious hair that we've heard about before, his hair that he was so prideful of, gets tangled up in the branches of an oak tree when he's suspended between heaven and earth, when he's humiliated, he's completely helpless, powerless. We've seen this fall coming. We knew the higher he went, the greater would be his fall We've seen this coming, and one man sees it and goes and tells Joab. You'll never guess what I just saw. Absalom is hanging from a tree. We've got him. We've got him. And Joab's response is, what, you just walked away? 
you just left him there? What if one of his own men came and cut him down? Then we would have lost him. Don't you understand the threat that he poses? And he says, if you had done that, by golly, I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. Sure enough, I would have rewarded you. You would have done a great deed. And the man's response, are you crazy? You heard what David said. Oh no, you could give me all the silver in the world. I'm not going against what David said. Everybody heard it. Everybody heard it. And he repeats the command. Protect the young man Absalom for my sake. I'm not going against him. For my sake. Now when we consider Jesus, you need to know that there are going to be things that Jesus tells you to do. There are going to be commands inside of this chain of command that at times are going to seem unreasonable to you, that aren't going to make sense to you. And this is where we need to remember that Jesus possesses the exclusive authority, the exclusive authority to demand unconditional obedience, unconditional obedience for my sake, do it. For my sake. In other words, Joab, I know you would never do this on your own. I know none of you would want to spare Absalom. But for me, do it. And when David says this to Joab, here's what we need to remember about Joab. This is not the first time that Joab has taken matters into his own hands. You go back to the beginning of 2 Samuel, and there's another rival general named Abner who had served as King Saul's general. And Joab took vengeance on Abner because Abner had murdered his brother. And even though David had made peace with Abner, Joab said, uh-uh, there is no way that we are making peace with him. And so he then assassinates Abner. And what does David do in response? David rebukes him about as harshly as anyone can and curses his household, but he doesn't put him in prison. He shows mercy. He even allows him to remain his general. And probably there's some political expedience behind that. But the point is that David showed mercy to Joab when Joab didn't deserve it. So when David says, for my sake, Joab, don't lay a hand on Absalom. No matter how unrealistic that may seem to Joab, he should do it because this is David. This is the one who's shown him mercy. And if Joab should have that kind of reverence and respect for the person of David, how much more should you and I, sinners, whose only hope of redemption is the shed, precious blood of Jesus on the cross, listen when he says, do it for my sake. No, you don't want to. No, you don't feel like it. No, it doesn't make sense in your eyes. No, that person doesn't deserve compassion or mercy, but do it for my sake, says Jesus. And in this way, you and I show 
whether or not we truly love Jesus. The Lord Jesus puts it very plainly, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. If you love me, keep my commands. Stay in line. Know the chain of command. Submit to it. No matter how much you don't want to, submit to it. All because of what Jesus has done for you. That you and I, when we were at our lowest, He was at His best. And you know that His love and only love, His unconditional, free, and sovereign grace that could lift you up out of that miry pit. And if you've known that, if you've felt the power of His grace, if you know how His love covers a multitude of sins, well then you're going to listen when He says, do it for my sake. And you're never ever going to get over that debt. Because notice the words in verse 13. And if I had put my life in jeopardy and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me. Nothing is hidden from the king. If that's true of David, how much more is it true of King Jesus? He knows. He knows the motivations in your heart. He knows whether or not there is true love for him, his person, his mercy, his kindness, his righteousness, his truth, or not. You can't hide from him. He sees right through our pretensions, just as this individual sees right through Joab. When Joab says, you should have killed him, what does this individual say? Are you serious? Are you kidding me, Joab? You know good and well that if I had killed him, you would not have my back. Are you serious? You really think that? Oh no. Oh no. And we can know that Joab is being hypocritical with verse 14. As we read together verses 14 to 15, Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And ten of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. Joab says, whatever. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. Whatever. I'm just going to do what needs to be done. I'm going to do what needs to be done. And he brings Absalom and Absalom's reign and Absalom's kingdom to a grisly demise. And he does the very thing that his commander, that his king told him not to do. Why does he do that? Probably because he thinks he knows best. And for you right now, here's the question you need to ask yourself. Do you truly believe Jesus knows best? Do you trust him to know what is best or do you still think you know what's best? Joab thinks David just doesn't have it in him. You know, poor guy, he's, he's a lovesick father, just doesn't want to execute justice against his son, so I need to do it for him. 
And he'll thank me later. I'm sure he'll thank me later. This is all for the sake of justice. This is all for the sake of his kingdom. This is all for the good of God's cause. And so he justifies it. He rationalizes it. And this is how we rationalize all of our hypocrisy, isn't it? We think we know what's best. And I need to tell you that if you surrender to this chain of command, if you say Jesus is Lord above all, there are going to be times in this world where you're going to sound like and look like a fool. People are going to say, are you, are you serious? You really live by what you read in that ancient book? What? You, you live by those morals? You think marriage is between one man and one woman? Come on. It's the 21st century. We can define it however we choose. You really think that this man, Jesus, is relevant now? You are going to sound like a fool to so many. But if he is Lord, if you obey him for his sake, not because it makes sense to you, because that's not really faith, is it? But for his sake, because it's him, because he's purchased your life by his blood, then you'll do it. But what is so ingrained in you and in me is the desire to be realistic, to be practical. We want things to make sense. We don't want to do anything too crazy. We don't want to be too extreme. We don't, we don't want anyone to think that we're radical or extreme. We don't want to stand out too much, right? We're reasonable, realistic people. But be careful when you take that line of thought too far. What ends up happening is that you start to think you're smarter than Jesus. And you start to think that you possess more wisdom than God's Word. And we are so good, so efficient at outsmarting the Bible. We can wiggle out of anything. It was for a good cause. I couldn't possibly have obeyed him in that circumstance. Oh, the excuses, the excuses, the excuses. They pile up just like Joab. He's got all kinds of excuses. This is all for David. It's really in his best interest. He knows how to serve King David better than King David knows how to serve himself. Be careful. Be careful. The depth of your love for Jesus can be measured by the extent of your obedience to Jesus. Never forget that. And remember these words of Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. Speaking to Peter. The same Peter who had denied him. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. There's no question about that. Haven't I proven that to you, Jesus? Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Knowing where this is going to lead, knowing all of that, knowing the consequences, knowing what everyone else will say, knowing what everyone else might do to you, and what in fact they will do to you, that you will die a martyr's death, follow me. For my sake. Not because it seems realistic, not because it seems reasonable, not because it seems wise, but for my sake. But we're like Peter, aren't we? Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Oh, and that's you and that's me, isn't it? Jesus gives us a clear command out of his exclusive authority. Follow me, obey me, go here, surrender the whole of your life. All of your plans, all of your possessions, all of your future, surrender that to me. And at first we say, what about her? What about him? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You must follow me. And those are the words of the Lord Jesus to you and to me right now. Don't tune him out. Don't put this off. You must follow me. Never mind what he says or she says. Never mind what your parents say. Never mind what your pastor says. You must follow me. Never mind how much hypocrisy is rampant in the church. No matter how much you despise organized religion, you must follow me. Those are the words to you and to me today. And we're not done until we know What happens to those who refuse that word? Verse 16. Then Joab sounded the trumpet and the troops stopped pursuing Israel for Joab halted them. They took Absalom, threw him into a big pit in the forest and piled up a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, all the Israelites fled to their homes. During his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself for he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. He named the pillar after himself, and it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. Absalom meets his end when he's thrown into a pit, and stones are thrown on top of him in shame. And the narrator lets us know this stands in contrast. This is how he's actually remembered Versus how he wanted to be remembered. He set up a monument to himself. All of his sons, we're told, are no more. And so he wants a monument to himself. This is how he wants to be remembered. This is how he is actually remembered. With a heap of stones, his body 
thrown into a pit to be consumed by worms. That's his end. And that is the end of all those who refuse to submit to God's chain of command. And this explains history. This explains the news. When you look at the headlines and you see what's happening in the world, this is a world that has refused to submit to God as king. And these are the consequences. If you want empirical evidence for the truth of the Bible and the truth of sin in the world, just look at history. This is how it's all playing out. But remember, Absalom didn't get to this point overnight. Remember, what set him against his father David? Well, it was because he didn't trust David's judgment. And in David's case, maybe he was right. David refused to punish Amnon, his half-brother, for his sin against Absalom's sister. But it was that moment, not trusting David, that then set in motion his rebellion. And so my word to you today is repent for your tendencies to be like Joab before you end up like Absalom. This is where it all ends. It starts with Joab just thinking, David doesn't know what's best. I can't really trust him. That's not realistic. I can't listen to that. He doesn't know what's best for me. He doesn't know what's best for the world. I need to take matters into my own hands. I need to express myself. I need to express my opinions. I need to assert my will in this chain of command. When you give room to that train of thought, watch out. Watch out. It will grow and it will grow and it ends up like this. Sad, tragic end, but an end justly deserved. So today, there's no questioning the love of God's King for sinners. He's proven that. He's proven it on the cross His amazing grace is available to you and to me right now. What is in question is whether or not your heart is divided. What is in question is whether or not you trust Him enough, whether or not you believe He is worthy to put your life in His sovereign and loving hands. That's the question. Do you love Him? As Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? You substitute your own name. Dane, do you love me more than these? Are you willing to follow me no matter the cost, no matter where it leads, no matter what others say, no matter how unrealistic or not? I pray that today you would love Jesus enough to surrender to him as Lord of all Everything you have, everything that you are, everything that you will be, may it all be His starting today. And for those who believe, yes, I've said that, may God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, bring more consistency. If you believe that, then live it. May I live it. So that in the eyes of a watching world, they see 
We, these aren't just things we say. These aren't just doctrines on a page. We live it because we love Him. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we confess to you that our sinfulness has made us put pride in our ingenuity. We put pride in our discernment. We are prideful about our abilities, about our competence, about what we believe we can see, about what we think this world needs, about what is right. We are so clear-headed in our own minds about what is wrong in the world, and it's always them. It's always this thing, that thing. It's always outside of ourselves. But today, may your Holy Spirit impress upon our hearts the truth that the same sinfulness that is out there is in us. The same darkness that is out there is in me. And my only hope of redemption, our only hope of redemption is in the shed blood of Jesus and the power of your amazing grace. Lord, help us to never, ever get over that. Help us to surrender day in and day out to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Give us undivided hearts, hearts that love you supremely and that are sold out for your son Jesus, come what may. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.